but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Alright, so today is the end of our five-week series covering the first five chapters of the book of Acts. And I hope that, I hope that it's been kind of a journey for you as it has been for me. Uh, I, this last week, I had several conversations with people who told me their stories. They told me how they came to Christ and the process and the things that, that He brought them through and that kind of thing. And you know, um, I've known these folks who I talked to for 20 years and I've never heard their whole story. And, and so what I hope that, that you're challenged with today is to think about your story um, in Christ Jesus, and would you consider telling that story to someone else? Um, you know, maybe someone that you know well, you could tell it to somebody that you know well, kind of as a practice, and then, and then tell it to somebody that maybe you don't know so well, somebody that you know is kind of on the fringe of Christianity and uh, uh, you have this incredible news that you want to tell them. And, and as, as we've been reading through the book of Acts, it's crazy the events that we read. I mean, I, I'm just in utter amazement at the attitudes of the, the disciples and the apostles and how the work of the Holy Spirit is, is giving them strength to do, to do the things that they're doing. Um, and it gets more interesting and more challenging the further along you go in the book of Acts. And I hope that you don't, you know, stop at, the, at chapter 5. I hope that you, in the next weeks, continue to read through um, the things that the, the apostles and the disciples went through. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start right away this morning in Acts chapter 5. If you would turn there, if you haven't turned there already, turn to Acts chapter 5. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from underneath the seat in front of you and uh, follow along with us. Um, kind of a lengthy passage this morning, but I think important to read. So we're going to begin Acts chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in, chapter, or in verse 7. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the, full, the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. 
God exalted Him to His own right hand as Prince and Savior that He might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put Him to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel... Consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. What a series of events we read about this morning. I mean, I just sit back in amazement in thinking about what the disciples did and the decisions that they made and the things that they said and the places that they went. I mean, they were incredibly bold. They were persistent. They had a never give up attitude for sure. And it wasn't just Peter and John this time. It was all the apostles. And so this morning I want to make three observations from our passage. The first one is this. The reason for opposition. What, what is the reason that, that the disciples faced opposition here? And, and what are some of the reasons that we would face opposition in trying to proclaim this message of, of good news of Jesus Christ? Well, one of those things that, that we observe here, I think, is fear and ignorance. Um, the Sadducees in the passage are being blinded by their own selfishness. They don't understand what's going on. They've, th- this is contrary to what they were taught. It's this new thing, and they're, they're, they're rebelling against it. They don't want to change, and, and they want to be in control. I mean, they're the big chiefs here in the temple. And, and this Jesus and his followers are kind of are, are creating a vacuum and sucking the, the control that they have had all this time from the people. Now, have you ever met somebody that liked to be in control? You know, they, they don't want to give up anything. They, they don't want to believe anything you say because if they do, then, then they either have to admit they're wrong or it, or it gives you some sense of, I don't want to say power, but a, a more understanding than they have. Maybe you were a person like that at one time until you finally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and saw what the power of the Holy Spirit can do inside of your life. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you are that person. Though you are seeking, you are still, you are still fending off this idea of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And, and some of that comes from, come up, comes from a fear and it, it comes from an ignorance. Uh, maybe you've never been taught that way. Another reason for opposition here, and we're specifically told this in this passage, is jealousy. Jealousy and control. They, they, the, the Sadducees saw the, the authority and power of Jesus. They experienced it. And, and uh, to, to believe this means submitting themselves fully to Him. And they don't want to do that. 
And then finally, the third reason for opposition is just flat out evil. Um, evil exists in our world today. Um, there is a spiritual battle raging about us, and sometimes the opposition that we face isn't because of jealousy or fear or ignorance, but it's just, it's just flat evil. You know, 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those whom he can devour. I mean, there is a, there is a, a real, actual, spiritual battle going on around us every day. And we need to not fall, fall asleep to that. These Sadducees have evil intentions here. Um, they, they have the apostles thrown in jail once again. It's happened more than one time. Um, there, there's guards placed there to secure them until the next day. And then we see later on that, that they, they are so angry and so upset that they just, they just want to kill them. That's evil. Um, that's being overcome by, by your selfish desires for sure. Now, I think God has a sense of humor. Some people may not think God has a sense of humor. I think he does. Um, I, I think he would be the best joke teller of all, you know, because, I mean, honestly, really, he, he created everything and he knows everything about it. Um, because, and I think we see here, I think, a little bit of his, his humor. Because in verse 19, we read that, that the that these apostles who have been thrown in jail are miraculously busted out of jail. Um, and nobody knows that they were busted out. And, and so, uh, and this happens multiple times in, in the New Testament. Um, it, it happens to Paul and Silas. Um, it happens, I believe, to Peter as well. And, and right here, it happens to all of the, the apostles. And an angel comes to them and sets them free. No one in the jailhouse knows this happened. So the Sadducees go to bed thinking that these men are in jail, but really they're not. And when they send for someone to go get them, it's kind of like, guess what? Joke's on you guys. They're not there. And I can't imagine that they were embarrassed by that. And then to add insult to injury, as far as the, the Sadducees are concerned, what were the apostles doing? They're preaching again. They're in the temple preaching. So not only did, did they miraculously get brought out of, out of jail, but, but the angel tells them, you need to go preach in the temple, and that's exactly what they did. So their response to opposition here um, is to keep on keeping on. They continue to proclaim the name of Jesus for salvation, and that's point number two, the response to opposition. What is our response to opposition? Is our response similar to theirs, or does it look a little bit different? Uh, the Olympics are going on in Russia right now, and that's not why I came across this illustration, but it is, it's interesting that it, it, it's about the Soviet Union. During his years as pre premier of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, some of you will remember who Khrushchev was, denounced many of the policies and atrocities of Joseph Stalin. Once as he was, he was kind of complaining about Joseph Stalin in a public meeting, uh, Khrushchev was interrupted by a shout from a heckler in the audience who, who called out to him, you were one of Stalin's colleagues, why didn't you stop him? And Khrushchev's response to that was, who said that? As big and as bold and as mean as he could muster. He said, who says that? And there was this dead, uncomfortable, agonizing silence in the room and nobody said anything. 
And then Khrushchev replied quietly, Now you know why. Now you know why I didn't do anything. I was afraid of him. I was scared. I was afraid of for my life. And, and as, we, as I think about the disciples here, and as I think about my own self in, in their position, would I be afraid of, for my life? Are we ever afraid for our lives? Uh, when it comes to the message of the gospel, there are people in our world today who are. And I can imagine that these Sadducees, these religious leaders, are very powerful men, and they could inflict and have in the past evil and pain on people. But the apostles continued to preach and teach. And of course, they were gathered up once again, brought before the Sanhedrin. And this time, it says that they went without resisting. And I think that's important. I don't think they ever resisted. I don't think they flailed or made a big scene or anything like that. Um, Jesus didn't. You know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest him, um, one of the disciples wanted to fight back. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. This isn't going to happen. And, and Jesus went, went on with, with the plan. And, and the disciples are merely going along with this as well. Um, because God is at work. Um, God is, in fact, God is just getting started when it comes to the church here in Acts chapter 5. Now, they're brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is essentially like a court. It's a religious court. And, and the research that I did on the Sanhedrin, there could be as small a number of 23 members of the Sanhedrin, which would mean you would come into a room maybe this size, and there would be 23 men kind of in an arch, and you would be presented before them, and, and they would, you know, I don't know, like going before, a, um, before Congress or something. You know, they're, they're just all there, and, uh, and they're, they're asking you questions, and you're giving answers. Um, that was one type of Sanhedrin. There's actually what they call the Great Sanhedrin, which was one that held 71. And I'm not sure which one it is, um, but I can imagine it was a formidable uh, group of men to stand before. And um, <clears throat> again, the, the apostles' response to them is not of fear. It's not of self-defense. It's not of self-preservation. It's they continue to proclaim the truth. Uh, again, again, they say... That uh, if you look at verse 29, uh, Peter and the other apostles replied to these charges or whatever they're, they're complaining about. We must obey God rather than men. Okay, they've said that before. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. I, that's just not very political, is it? You know, I mean... You would think you would want to back off of some of those accusations if, if you were, you know, standing before a bunch of men who could kill you. But they don't. They don't back off at all. Um, God exalted him, they go on, to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins in, to Israel. And we're witnesses of these things. They were not only eyewitnesses to these things, but they were giving vocal witness to these things. They, they're proclaiming them out loud. Their response to the opposition that they're receiving was obedience to God, wasn't it? They're, they're doing what He told them to do. didn't matter that they were called to do, uh, that what they were called to do or the danger that had put their lives in, they preached. They preached, they preached, they preached. Even to these men who could judge them and have them killed, they're preaching. 
So their response is one of obedience. And they remind their hearers of three basic things, and we need to remember this as well. God raised Jesus from the dead. He exalted Him as Savior, and He gave the Holy Spirit to His obedient people. This, this um, power of the Holy Spirit that we receive is an important key here. Because I believe that, that the acts of the disciples right here would not be possible, humanly possible, if it were not for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And if you think of your own life, and as I think of my life and being in situations where I might be confronted with um, denounce Christ and live, or hold on to what you're saying and die, in my own human will and ability and discipline, I'm not sure that I could answer that the way that God would want me to answer it. And it would only be within the power of the Holy Spirit in me where I would be able to say, you know what, kill me. If that's what you've got to do. That's what you've got to do. Because, because I'm to obey God, not men. And I'm not going to forsake something that I know to be the truth. So our response to any kind of opposition should be, should be obedience no matter what. And there is incredible pressure in our culture today for us to live comfortable, safe, healthy lives, isn't there? I mean, it's all, it's all about this in our culture. Um, and and sometimes, it's, sometimes it's frustrating. We're, we're really complainers, aren't we? I mean, think, think about yourself in the course of a day. Do you ever go through a day without complaining about something? Uh, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves... Um, which says to me that, that we have slowly kind of fallen into a sense of entitlement. Uh, I picked on the farmers at first service. So I'll pick on them again. You know, you can never keep a farmer happy, right? You know, our, and part of this is because they diversify. They, they grow all kinds of different crops, right? And, and, and so, you know, their beans need rain, but their hay doesn't because it's laying on the ground and it needs to be dry for that. So when it's raining, it's fine unless there's hay on the ground. And then it's, sometimes it's too hot or it's too cold. Um, somebody told me about somebody they know that, um, that they're, like, they're like a one degree of comfort person. If the house is 71 degrees, it's too cold. If it's 73 degrees, it's too hot. It has to be 72. Uh, Tuesday night, I heard some of the stories of Todd from Todd Berry, and, and he and Katie and Lance went to Haiti with some other doctors and did some medical stuff. And I was just reminded, uh, I was reminded of how poor their living conditions are in Haiti. And, and, and it actually, you know, it, it kind of, it was kind of, uh, kind of a slap on the top of the head with a two-by-four for me because I know sometimes I... I do complain about things in my own life. And, and, you know, the whole hot, cold thing or the whole, you know, I wish my house was this way or wish my car was this way or whatever. Um, those people don't even have those things. And the blessings that we truly have from God here in America, um, they're just amazing. He, even those who, who we would say are living below the poverty level in our culture are living kind of like kings and queens compared to people that live in Haiti. And, and uh, we need to recognize that, that God has given us incredible, incredible blessings. And, and, and we need to persist. 
not complain, not be all that worried and concerned over our safety and that sort of thing, especially when it comes to being honest with people about who God is and proclaiming the good news of, of the full message of this new life, as the angel put it to, to the disciples. So our response should be one of obedience. Now, the Sanhedrin here, in this case, are steamed. I mean, they are as hopping mad as they have been since they killed somebody else that was innocent. But there's this man who rises up in their midst, and he's a a well-respected man by the name of Gamaliel, and he speaks up. So the apostles are sent out of the court. And this happens every time. You know, they bring the apostles in and they talk and then they're like, all right, we need to visit amongst ourselves. They send the apostles out. They have this conversation. Then they bring the apostles back in and they say, okay, here's the deal. We've made a decision. This is what you are to do. Well, in this case, um, Gamaliel points out the fact that there are two other cases where men were gathering followers and... The guys died and ultimately their little following thing that they had going on fell apart and it wasn't the real deal. He says, so if, it's, if these disciples are, if this is a case of that, there's no sense in, in killing them because it's going to fall apart anyway. And, but then he goes on in verse 38. Uh, verse 39, he says, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So, in, in essence, guys, it isn't going to matter, really. If this is of God, kill them, don't kill them. It isn't going to matter. Um, because this is going to succeed. God is going to do what God wants to do. And, and if you go forward with this, and it is from God, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. And, and we do that many times in our own lives, don't we? we? We butt heads with God over something that He wants control of in our lives, and, and we're, we don't want to give it up, and we don't want to give it up, and we don't want to give it up, and we want our way. We want our way. And, and, and the best thing to do is just to let go and let God do what He's going to do. And stop fighting that. Maybe you have continued to fight this idea of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You just, you're just unwilling to do it. And, and, and we see here in this example that if, if it's of human origin, it's doomed to fail. But if it's of God, um, it will succeed. And the council listens to Gamaliel and they decide not to kill the apostles. But they didn't just let them go unscathed, did they? They had them flogged, inflicted some pain, and, and then they, they told them once again, if not for sounding like a broken record, you guys need to shut up about this. You need to knock it off. We're not happy with you. And so the disciples leave. And when they leave, then they keep their mouth shut after that, right? No, absolutely not. It, it, is this just not crazy? These guys are nuts. People in our culture today would say, you guys just need to be quiet. You just need to lay low for a period of time, right? You know, just kind of let the, let the waves go over the top, and then, and then you can start maybe secretly talking about this again. But that's not what they did. And it's just crazy to me. They continued their proclamations with powerful persistence in the face of opposition. And that's observation number three. 
that they have this powerful persistence in the face of opposition, and it's the Holy Spirit. They couldn't help it. It's such great news. Why wouldn't they want everybody to hear it? Even if it cost them their lives. Listen to these entries in the diary of of John Wesley. I think they're pretty interesting. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday evening, May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacons said get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's, deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday evening, May 19th, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in Meadow, chased out of Meadow as bull was turned loose during service. (laughs) Sunday morning, June 2nd, persistent, isn't he? Preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday evening, June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Persistent in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God did what God was going to do. Have you given up? Have Have you given up too easily at times? We need to have powerful persistence. Wesley didn't get that power from himself. The disciples certainly didn't get the power from themselves because we've seen them multiple times stick their, foot, their, their feet in their mouths when, when they were with Jesus early on. But now they have the power of the Holy Spirit and, and God is doing amazing things. It says they left the Sanhedrin. Of course, their back's a bloody mess after being flogged. And verse 41 says they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Have you ever been turned down by somebody in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them and you went away from that just really bummed out and discouraged like, oh, I'm terrible at this? Or That's not what happened here. These guys were honored to be dishonored. <laughs> These guys, um, there was grace in their being disgraced. In fact, if we were to go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 22, this is what Jesus is talking about when he's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Because of Jesus. Now, there are people who can can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in a really obnoxious and annoying way. Okay, and, and it's not talking about that because this says, um, you know, when you're excluded and they insult you and reject you, your name is evil, not because of how you presented yourself, but because of the name of Jesus. They're opposed to the name of Jesus. But just because people are opposed to the name of Jesus doesn't mean we quit talking about him. Doesn't mean that we quit sharing with other people about what he's doing in our life and in the life of our family and in the life of our church. I can't remember the last time I rejoiced in persecution. Usually I'm discouraged by it. There's not a sense of, wow, I, I just, 
I was obedient and proclaimed Christ, then you know what? We're, whatever they decide, that, that falls on them, not me. And, and walk away from that going, yeah, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. But see, we get mixed up that, and, and this is me completely, okay? We get mixed up with the fact that they, they're hating on me, not the message that I'm giving them. And, and then I want to begin to own that. And, and there's kind of a running joke around the office sometimes. It's like, well, that, that person didn't come to that whatever because they hate you, David. You know, that, that's, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the sense that I, I get. I, I start owning that. And, and I need to let that go and recognize that, you know what? It quite possibly could be that it's the message they're rejecting. Yeah, they're going to take it out on the messenger, but we need to remember that it's the message that they're rejecting. And then we don't, we don't stop being a messenger just because people reject the message. Well, these guys rejoiced in their persecution and they continued to boldly defy the court's prohibition. Day after day, in public and in private, they proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 42. It's not about self-preservation to them. It's about the proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I wonder, where would, what kind of a decision would you make if one day a big black suburban with guys in white shirts and ties and blue coats pulled up to your driveway and they all came out and they came up and they knocked on the door and, and they came in actually with weapons and a piece of paper and said, you know, we're going house to house. Um, we work for the government and um, we want you to pledge your full faith and allegiance um, and worship to the President of the United States. And we want you to forsake every other belief system and religious belief that you hold. And if you don't, we're going to throw you in jail. What would your answer be? What would your answer be? Throw me in jail? Okay, fine. Throw me in jail. You're in jail for a week or two or three and somebody else comes into that jail cell and says to you, all right, we've given you three weeks to think about this. You need to sign your faith away right here. And if you don't, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. We are going to haul you out into the middle of nowhere, kind of around Prairie Center maybe. That's the middle of nowhere, right? In the bitterest cold weeks of the winter, we're going to tie you to a stake naked and leave you for dead. Or we're going to tie you to a stake and we're going to burn you. Or we're going to drown you. Or we're going to, whatever, cut appendages off until you die. I mean, this happens to people in our world and has happened to people. We're going to hang you upside down. What would your answer be? Would it be, kill me? Or would you have to think about it for a little bit? Push came to shove for these disciples. They're like, look, we got to obey God rather than men. That should be our answer. I'm going to obey God. And if I'm going to obey God, I can't denounce His name. See, we don't experience that in our culture, in our country. Praise God, so far. I mean, it could come to that. What would we do? What would we do? 
And I think the answer to that question speaks volumes of our commitment to Jesus Christ. It's Honestly, it's not one I really like to think about because I, I wonder if I might fail. But as I think about it and as I think about the place where the, the disciples were, I can't help but think when we're put under pressure that way that we begin to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit more and more and more each day. And the power of the Holy Spirit then begins to fill us and embolden us and strengthen us and we would be able to stand against it and say, you do whatever you want to me. But, but we're not pushed that way in our culture. We kind of have an easy, easy life, comfortable life, you know, an okay paying job. We struggle to make the ends meet, but, but we're still putting food on the table. I, I, I received this word this morning as, as just a caution and as a challenge to, to live, to boldly live for Jesus Christ no matter where I'm at. It doesn't matter if you're in the 6th grade or the 10th grade or you're in college or you're retired in this room. It doesn't matter. We can boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. I like, it the, I like the way he says it, the full, the full message of this new... How does he say that? Let me, let me find it again. Tell the people the full message of this new life. It's not about self-preservation. It's about the proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, the devil has never given up on his attempt to destroy the, to, to destroy the church by force. Uh, I have a list here of, of some things that, that, that just kind of show what, what he has tried to do over the course of time. Under Nero, in A.D. 54 to 68, Christians were imprisoned and executed, including probably Paul and Peter. Um, Domitian, in A.D. 81 to 96, oppressed Christians who refused to pay him the divine honors he demanded. Under him, John was exiled to Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Marcus Aurelius, in A.D. 161 to 180, believing that Christianity was dangerous and immoral, turned a blind eye to severe local outbreaks of mob violence. Then in the 3rd century, what had so far been sporadic became systematic. Under Decius, in A.D. 249 to 251, thousands died, including Fabian, bishop of Rome, for refusing to sacrifice to the imperial name. The last persecuting emperor before the conversion of Constantine was Diocletian in A.D. 284-305. He issued four edicts which were intended to stamp out Christianity altogether. He was going to do away with Christianity. He what? He executed his wife and daughter. He should have read the book of Acts chapter 5, what Gamaliel said. He ordered churches to be burned, scriptures to be confiscated, clergy to be tortured, and Christian civil servants to be deprived of their citizenship and, if stubbornly unrepentant, executed. His wife and child, I guess, are included in that list. Still today, especially in some Marxist, Hindu, and Muslim countries, the church is harassed and people die every day. And I think it's accelerating in the Middle East. But we need not fear for this survival. It could happen in... About ten years ago, I think it was ten, whenever we were kind of looking forward to the financial stability of our country and we were kind of on the edge wondering if we were going to go into another Great Depression or not, in the back of my mind, 
in the back of my mind, I was secretly hoping that we would. Now, I didn't know all that that would entail, but I was recognizing some of the pain that that would cause in my life and the lives of people that I love. But we have gotten to such a place of entitlement in our country that we need something like that to shake us into reality. That's, that's, what this, that's what persecution does in the life of the church. It, it shakes you out of this sort of laissez-faire thought that, that, you know, life is just okay and I'm okay. And it, it, it puts your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior completely. Because you don't have anything left. Tertullian addressing the rulers of the Roman Empire, cried this out. He said, Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. You see, persecution refines the church. It doesn't destroy it. It it burns out the impurities and solidifies the purities. Persecution, if it leads to prayer and praise to an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and of solidarity with Christ and His sufferings, then however painful, it would be welcome. Now, don't get me wrong. I would like to learn these lessons without persecution. And, and, and I guess that's my challenge for us this morning. If we're not being persecuted today, what can we learn and what can we do in the face of this non-persecution that Christians worldwide who are being persecuted are learning in their life? And let's live our lives that way. I think with powerful persistence in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And however that works out in your life. I mean, you all have... There isn't anyone in this room that doesn't have friends or people that they visit with or hang out with who don't attend a church or know or may have not heard that Jesus loves them. So I want to challenge us this morning. Take out that Connect card, if you would. And on the back of that Connect card, it says, I will tell my salvation story to someone this week. Now, sometimes a sermon will come in in one ear, it'll kind of bounce around for a few moments, and then by the time we leave the doors on a Sunday morning, it's out the other ear, and we don't remember anything about it. And sometimes we can make a decision, we can say, well, I'll do this, but, but then we just sort of really quickly forget. What I want to challenge you to this morning is, accept the challenge to this week, in seven days, tell your story of salvation to someone other than your small group Bible study. Okay, that's a good place to start. But to someone other than your small group Bible study. And I would want you also to be as bold as to mark that on your Connect card. Put your name and your phone number on it and put it in the offering plate as the offering plate comes around at the end of our service. And know that quite possibly, maybe, you might get a phone call next Friday or Saturday from somebody that says, hey, did you share your story yet? 
or maybe on a Sunday morning, hey, did you get a chance to share your story? Because, and, and I, I would call a few folks and say, did you tell your story? That's what I want. I want you to feel that the importance of this and that this is a commitment I made and I'm going to do it. And then I want to hear the cool story about what happened when you did share your story. Maybe we can both rejoice that a door was slammed in your face. I don't know. Um, maybe we can rejoice with the fact that the person said, hey, you know what? I've been waiting for somebody to tell me about this. Because that's just as much a possibility as the other. I want to also encourage you, if you haven't, to, to watch the last two weeks of Second Look videos. You can get them online at our church website. You can grab copies of them, whatever's left out there. I don't know how many are left of the videos from the last two, week, two weeks. One is about a, a skateboarder who, who went through a, a horrible, rebellious, sinful time of his life and gives this incredible testimony of the power of God to save even those who we might think are unsavable. And then last week's um, is, is a challenge that Pastor Ty gave us from uh, Acts chapter 4, and beginning in verse 23. And I wanted to do this, and I'm going to do this just really quickly. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And, and I want you, I'm just going to read through this and then just give you the points that you can write down in your notes. And then I want you to just think about this throughout the course of the week as you're thinking about sharing your story with someone. This is after Peter and John were thrown in jail the first time and released. And when they came back, verse 23 says that they told everybody what had happened to them. And when all the people heard this in verse 24, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they prayed. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider these threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There's three things that they praised God for here. They praised God for his sovereignty, for his incredible power, and for his plan. He's working his plan. These things are happening with Pilate and because God wanted them to. Praise God. They worship him. They're on their knees proclaiming these things. And then finally they get to the place where they ask Him for something. And it's amazing to me that they don't ask for safety. They don't ask for security. They don't ask for comfort. But they ask for one thing, and that's boldness. They ask for boldness as they preach the Word of God. Jesus said that we are to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And for us, that's Lingle and Torrington. That's our Jerusalem. Our Judea and Samaria would be southeastern Wyoming and the Nebraska Panhandle, I think. And then to the ends of the earth. Let's not just hear about it on a Sunday morning. Let's talk about it during the week. Ancient events 
a timeless mission. Let's join God in His mission. And let's proclaim this living story in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for this morning. And Lord, I pray that You would encourage our hearts and challenge our hearts this week as we read that prayer and we meditate on it in Acts chapter 4 and as we, we consider praying that prayer for ourselves, not out of security, not not out of selfishness, but Lord, that we would seek boldness to proclaim the good news. Lord, I pray that you would provide each one of us opportunities this week to share our story. Lord, it's encouraging as a fellow Christ follower to hear the story of someone and how you have worked in their life and just encourages me to want to tell my story even further, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that challenge this morning. Lord, provide safety for everyone traveling home today and tonight for the Discover classes. Thank you again for the moisture. Just, Lord, the gifts that you give us. May we not take those for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as the ushers come and take up.